Hey everyone, and happy holidays. Welcome to another episode of Time Extend. My name is Adam Ismail, and joining me just in time for Christmas is... Uh, Father Christmas. No, unfortunately not. It's, it's just um, Brendan Norrison here again to talk some winter festivities related to racing games and also just have a, a recap of the, the racing game games of the year. And I guess that, that I mean that that kind of discussion, Adam. Many maybe in previous years it'd be a, a kind of highly thought of one, but it's not been a fantastic year for racing games, has it really? Not really. I mean, we have a couple that we definitely enjoyed this year, but it wasn't what I would call what either of us would call a banner year for racing games. Uh, but there are a lot of people who have been asking us on Twitter and whatnot what racing games we enjoyed the most this year. So we'll have a brief discussion about that before getting into more uh, festive talk. But down the line, we also will maybe do a, a decade retrospective. Um, to be honest, we, we, we had planned to do one or two more shows before this one, before the end of the year, but it just didn't happen that way. So we're just going to have a have a year, a bit of a you know best racing game in the year talk, and then go into, go into um, our holiday memories and, and things related to that, and then just uh, see where it goes in 2020. Yeah, exactly, and I think everyone knows how busy it gets this time of year, not only for um, terms of work life and that type of thing, but just in general, there's always an excuse to go out drinking or just um, get all the shopping done, which you, you had great fun with earlier, Adam, like, it's just, it's a busy time. I'd do that today. Yeah, I mean, look, if you've been listening to Time Extend long enough, you know that we're not uh, not the most regular posting of, uh, of podcasts, um, but... Honestly, I don't hear a lot of people complaining, so uh, I'm just thankful to any listeners who are willing to put up with our sometimes uh, scattershot schedule. But you know, maybe maybe one day we'll maybe 2020 will be the year that we'll actually get on that every two weeks clip. But I'm not going to make any promises right now because that that wouldn't be fair to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And to be honest, we we are of the mindset that we record podcasts when there's a great enough idea to do it for and. I'd say this year, especially just in terms of time extend itself, I think we've had a fantastic few series so far, and it's only going to get better, especially with the incredible new art that you've created. <laughs> this year was really special. Um, I mean, we've only you know had the show for two years, and and uh, you know it's it was always kind of a labor of love for us, but I feel like this year was when you know 2019 was when the show just kind of I don't want to say took off and make it sound bigger than it is but as far as like meeting an audience and yeah and meeting people who actually cared and engaged with it and and talked to us and and just told us they liked the show I mean and and shared their own opinions and their own feelings like it was a really special year uh just beyond my wildest imagination and uh can't thank everyone enough for just just enjoying what you've heard and, and telling people and spreading the word and, and just being great people and great fans and everything. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't even know how to put into words because <laughs> I still kind of can't believe it. Yeah. Know? Oh, definitely. It's the, the same here. I don't want to get too sentimental and make the whole podcast about time extends um, as a, a series, but it's been fantastic, the level of interaction this past year and We've, we've always had those few fans who've been there since the very start, loving it, shout out Fernando, um, but throughout the 
the course of this year we've just met so many great people and so many people are engaging and it's something going into 2020 that we want to harness and make more a priority and that's why um, we, we are looking at a community discord and that type of thing and I think the show's only going to go from strength to strength from here and it's still our intentions to have as many um, worthwhile guests on the podcast as possible that people find interesting and also continue to scour the genre itself to find the topics that we, we just love discussing. The good thing is that we love all these like weird irrelevant parts of racing games that we always find an angle to take and it seems like the community now is actually doing that part of the job for us almost. For as long as people want to hear us talk about racing game irrelevancies, we'll be here to make sure that happens. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, I still can't get over the, the names of the crazy uh, characters of Test Drive on the PlayStation 2. <laughs> That's a highlight. That's definitely a highlight. <laughs> that is a highlight, yeah. So, look forward to more of that. But, yeah, so so at this point, probably a good idea to just uh, to hop right into game of the year our games of the year um again this is going to be kind of a, a brief discussion uh just because of the nature of the year but we we talked about this a little bit beforehand um and basically what we what we came to realize was that brendan your pick was maybe more of the uh realistic selection of racing game of the year that most people would probably agree with and I agree with it too, and my, but mine is more of like the emotional sort of like the, the game that impacted me the hardest, even though it might not technically be the best. And if you listen to the last episode, you know what that game is. But but we'll start we'll start with yours first. Yeah, sure. So like you said, I mean, in terms of racing games with that emotional impact that we talk about so much and make clear how important it is. Unfortunately, there wasn't really a game that I've been able to play that got to us on that level so I had to kind of look at it in a more um, maybe some people would find boring objective manner about what was this racing game trying to accomplish what did it change up to get there and most importantly was the driving fun so if you've been listening to the the podcasts this year um, you'll know that the main ones we talked about and what can probably be ruled out off the bat Dirt Rally 2.0, we had uh, Jordan Greer on the pod to talk about that, and the problem with Dirt Rally 2.0 was that it, it kind of took its fantastic um, simulation handling model for granted a bit, and didn't quite have a game around it that we could enjoy and get on with, and that was especially the case for me. Um, Grid, one of the more recent ones, I don't have to go ranting about that again, but there's no way that was going to be game of the year for me. <clears throat> and that would basically leave uh, two main titles Assetto Corsa Competizione and WRC8 and to be honest Adam I love both of these games and arguably for slightly different reasons like Assetto Corsa Competizione is a fantastic um, GT racing sim that really does capture that particular genre of motorsport and it provides a nice online framework for racing in. But the problem is that I feel as if I, the, the reason I've played that game a lot is that the handling model is phenomenal. But elsewhere, it's kind of fairly standard, what you would expect. And what we say about Time Extenders, we're really eager to commend the games that do something different or get back on track after some poor games and that type of thing. And that's why um, my racing game of the year is WRC8 
because I, I felt as if Seven was an incredible step in the right direction and it just grew on me over time. Um, the track design, as we've talked about, like in, in real life is phenomenal in the WRC calendar and uh, Kyloton really got a good grasp of that and pushed forward to their series as a result. And in WRC 8 they took that framework and added fully dynamic time of day and weather. They added an incredibly, for the genre, detailed um, career mode which included team management, overall kind of club management at that level, hiring staff, R&D, all that type of thing and wrapped it still in that driving model that they have kind of perfected recently in terms of accessibility but also difficulty. So for me it's got to be WRC8 because I feel as if Kyloton have done such a fantastic job for such a niche game. Because that's the thing, like rally games can sell well, like the Codemasters does well with dirt reasonably speaking. But in terms of the WRC series, it's not something that sells incredibly well across the board. It's not a series that has any form of expectancy, but I feel as if the, the, the momentum from this year that they carried over from the previous game, I've just got to call that out and say that the guys are doing a fantastic job and it gets, fr from one of, one of ourselves anyway, the time extends seal of approval for the year. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with all that. WRC 8 is the rally game that I wish more rally games were like these days. Um, I, it's funny because Codemasters has kind of been, to a lot of people, I think the gold standard in rally titles. But if there's anything that I think has become clear, especially from WRC 8, it's that it's not so much Kylo Tom looking to Codemasters for areas to you know for things to learn that i think codemasters needs to look at the rest of the market which at this point really just consists of kyloton and and just trying to figure out where um they can borrow some of those uh just insights because like i think there's no question that dirt rally has the the physics side of things down and yeah. and, and the and the the feel on the stage is great the gameplay is excellent but all of the stuff that, that Kalatan has done in WRC 8 from a career perspective, from a single player perspective, um, around the experience of actually driving in that game is, I think, what a lot of people want to see. Yeah, and that's, and that's all we can ask for at this point in time where, like you're saying, it's almost as if, if you've got that um, driving model down, it's easy to just think, oh, all we need is cars and tracks, then and that makes a good game. We've discussed this a lot. It, for the racing genre, that's never really the part that makes a game get great in our eyes. And it's good to see Kyloton are clearly invested in replicating the full WRC authentic experience, and that goes beyond what happens on the track. But the, the fact was they still improved that element of it as well. And to be honest, it's pretty impressive that it does have that dynamic time of day and weather in there because it's something that Codemasters can't really boast at the moment. Yeah, and it's really well done too. I mean, the, the, the way that, you know, weather conditions can change in stages and just like, you know, I was pretty amazed by how absolutely soul-crushingly difficult it can be uh, at night, for example. Uh, especially when you're doing some of those like extreme condition trials where in the career mode where your car is absolutely like within an inch of its death and and uh, 
you know, you're driving through torrential storms and everything. It reminded me a lot of, of some of the harder night races in Drive Club where you're dealing with snow. Of course. Uh, yeah. On like the Norway tracks or whatever. And, and just it's it's oh like it's honestly more than anyone ever wants to deal with but at the same time it's like i don't mind and, and i would hate it if like every single you know stage every other stage was like that but um every now and then for that for those kinds of really awful scenarios to rear their ugly heads uh it's all that's what rallying is uh so it's it's cool when you when you get to a stage like that it's like oh fuck like what the hell am i gonna do <laughs> but uh but it's also i mean it's it's great to be surprised like that because rallying is you know what is rallying if not just one surprise after another so exactly and they, they've replicated that really well um the career mode was the one part of a wrc7 that a lot of reviewers um had contention with um saying it was fairly standard which was fine and they totally fixed that this time around um and still kind of got the snub unfortunately when it came to, to racing game of the year discussions but um for, for me it's thumbs up kyloton um keep doing what you're doing and i think that the series is only going to go from strength to strength and they'll want to hold on to that wrc license as well because it might not be a massive seller but it'll definitely be something that sh the studio and big ben is the publisher they, they would love to continue to hold that especially as uh, Codemasters kind of focuses more on dirt rally and gets success in that regard. So, what about yourself then, Adam? Um, I mean, I've kind of said all, all I would say about WRC, unless you've got anything to add. No, uh, pretty much covered all of the bases there. Uh, I, I guess on to my favourite of the year, and like I said, this isn't going to be surprised to anyone who listened to our last episode, but um, it's actually Need for Speed Heat. Uh a game that you know is not perfect uh that i have my issues with but just like it's so perfectly captured what i want from an open world street racer in a way that games have not in so long i mean since like i don't know what since like burnout paradise maybe like i mean obviously <laughs> obviously a very different kind of game but, but if we're thinking about like the last 10 years like God, I don't know that I've enjoyed an open world racer this much in a long, long time. I mean, like, you know, Midnight Club Los Angeles was great, but I think that was like 2008. Like, it's it's Scary honestly. To think that. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's over. It's it's well over 10 years, and that's oh, like man. that. That also plays, you know, really nicely into the you know best racing games of a decade discussion we might have one day. But but yeah, just Need for Speed Heat. Like, it's. It works, and I was actually listening to the episode that we had done last where we talked about it again, and and you made a really great point, which is that, like, you, you don't know if EA can really, uh, or Ghost Games can really, like, cash this check again in as much as, like, you know, they made a great kind of revival or send-up of, of the classic open world Need for Speeds of old, and it doesn't really try too much new or really challenge conventions in any way so it's like if they try to make need for speed heat again in two or three years it's gonna feel stale it's gonna be like when they you know make carbon after most wanted it's just not going to really move the needle uh but the fact that we haven't had anything like that in you know 10 12 years and the fact that it's 
a very solid game all around. You know, yeah, it doesn't take a lot of chances, uh, but at the same time, like, I can't really complain. The handling's good enough. Uh, the customization is fantastic. You know, that's probably one of the strongest points of the game because they basically borrowed, you know, the customization, all yeah. the assets and, and that engine and everything from 2015 and Payback and just, just threw it into heat. Uh, the city's pretty solid. It's it's very diverse. Um, just the just the action of, of driving around the open world and and getting into pursuits and stuff is fun. You know, it just if you've missed that experience in the last two generations, this this is basically it. I mean, to me, I really don't know what like like if you were really rubbed the wrong way by 2015 as I was this game pretty much answers all, all of your problems. I really don't see what you could ask for that, that Heat didn't have. And, you know, is it perfect? There are definitely some things I wish were... I don't think the pursuits are, are necessarily perfectly balanced. I, I wish there were a couple, you know, game design decisions they could have made. But, God, when I play it, I mean, it just... it, it It's like trans, being transported back in, like, 2005 in the best way possible. So, uh... In, in terms of like you know emotional appeal for best game best racing game of the year it's that pretty much is is all i have to say about it and, if, and that is like what sums up it's for speed heat like any anything you've talked about it you've harked on about the fact that they remembered that it's a game and i know that sounds silly but i think you've talked at length about like why forza horizon doesn't really tick the box that you're looking for um, Need for Speed Heat obviously prioritises that element of merit in terms of earning cash, upgrading your car and it meaning something. There's a lot of people that love the idea of a, a sandbox, playground, whatever you want to call it, where you can pretty much do what you want with not many blockers, but I think that the conversations we have, it's, it's clear that that is an important element of racing games and to be honest, maybe now more than ever it maybe developers have forgot that or creative decisions are made to make sure that people get as much access to the content that the game has to offer whereas need for speed heat um it seems to have that perfect level of challenge based on what you're saying yeah it's it, need for speed heat is initially like almost like jarringly too difficult until you realize that like you know, once you get a vehicle that's, like, kind of, like, they basically have this performance index, and once it's past a certain point, you, you should be able to really hold your own against any of the uh, police cruisers or vehicles in the game and any of the roadblocks and stuff that they employ. But, but yeah, it can be pretty grating at first to try and hold your own against the cops when you're driving, a you know, the Ether, the M3, or the MX-5, or whatever that you start with. But... Eventually, you get to a place where you feel comfortable, but it, even even that discomfort, like you, you feel like you're rising up the ranks. You feel like you're in 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 the spirit of the game, making a name for yourself, and and you're actually holding your own against the cops. Where it's just like when I look at Forza Horizon Four, and and you're constantly being told that like you have what it takes to be the greatest of all time, or whatever, and and just everyone loves you, and that you're <laughs> and and you're not from the beginning you're not maybe doing anything to justify this level of praise like you know you can come 11th in a race of 12 people and still take home 20,000 credits for no reason whatsoever uh and be given like five super wheel spins and you're like what am i racing for what's the point of all this uh i feel like forge horizon is is a game that's spoiled for choice and you 
it is very technically impressive, but it's very much a game that says make your own fun. And let's be honest, not everyone plays video games for that experience. Agreed. Some people play it for a more open, you know, a more open-ended experience, and some people want something that's a little bit more linear, where they're presented with a challenge and they want to rise to the occasion. And if you consider yourself one of the latter camp, then Need for Speed Heat is definitely that game. More than Forza, at least. Yeah, because the thing about Forza Horizon is, like, I'll go through these random spells of wanting to play it, and then when I'm actually playing it, I'm like, what do I actually want to do? <laughs> That's the main issue. But, like, even with the more um, not-so-good Need for Speeds in recent times, any time I'd play them, i know exactly what the objectives are. So if they've managed to take that element of the games and actually put a great game around it, then... To be honest, I, I don't know why I haven't played it yet. It's really on me, but I think I said last time around, my intention is I've got a, a good few weeks off work now as we move into the festive period, and I'm definitely going to be getting the Origin Unlimited trial, I think that's what it's called, so that I get the chance to play through Need for Speed Heat because um, it's a glowing recommendation from yourself that it's your game of the year. Alright, with that said, um, it's probably a, a good time to switch gears and talk about some of the questions that we got. Uh, just Christmas-related uh, survey questions that we asked the community. Um, what would you guys want to hear uh, as far as like festive-related racing game memories and whatnot? And we got a couple of good responses, and we handpicked three of them that we're going to kind of dive into because we thought they had the, the most potential for a, a good little chat um and i guess the first one we'll start with and, and we were really racking our brains about this one because i can only think of one off the top of my head um is the best snow covered tracks in any racing game now that comes from paul lavelle and yeah he wants to know what what snow tracks that we we uh rate very highly and uh I think I know my answer, but but Brendan, what's did do you have anything uh, on your mind? So, for this one, it was actually Paul himself kind of referenced what it might be, and it is the case. Um, for me, the most prominent track, snow track that pops into my head is one that I really enjoy and often go back and drive, is Alpine Free from Sega Rally Revo, and for me this track was just like so much fun to throw the cars around on um you've got like a classic tunnel section that almost emulates um the forest track from the original sega rally 
but there's like a, a certain segment where it is this little untouched snow basically until you drive on it and because of the, the in-depth deformation physics on the actual track itself it means that you get this like really cool effect as the slush kind of leaves the tyre marks and if you're driving alongside another car you can see that happen for them in real time as well and um, each time, it's one of the very few tracks in the game where the deformation makes a difference because each time you do a different lap um, the snow is basically decimated so like, you've got this like really slushy, slidey driving experience that manages to be more slidey than the base physics themselves um, and yeah, it's just a really fun drive. In Revo, there's like the Alpine tracks all have a, a kind of a snow segment or a wet track segment, but Alpine 3 just introduced half a track of like untouched snow with some nice right handed turns and stuff as well to navigate, and it's just it's just great fun. Yeah, so when he said Alpine, I was unsure, like, I, I said. I think I was saying to you before the show, like, yeah, I agree, but then very quickly I was like, but wait, which Alpine track? Because there's, <laughs> at, you know, take a rally Revo, there's all of the venues, there's the locations, and you have a couple different uh, ribbons within those locations. But I think we're talking about the same one, because this is the one where you, you kind of go up the mountain, you get to a certain point, it's all just yeah. snow. And then you hit that downhill tunnel section that's, like, really fast, and you're back to the asphalt again, I think? That's the one. And it's, oh, it's so fast when you're driving the legendary cars in the game as well. Like, the speed is insane. It's really, it's a, it's a difficult, it's a difficult track to drive. It just becomes this, like, crazy downhill slalom, if I remember correctly. It's It gets super kind of tight up top as you're going, going up the mountain and then coming back down. It's just a free, it's just pretty much a free fall. Uh, yeah, it's a great one. I think it was in the demo as well for that game. Yeah, and, that, and, I think and so, so I probably drove it more than like any of the other Alpine tracks. Yeah, it, I mean for me, Alpine One. I think I've said before that's like one of my favourite Sega Rally tracks of all time. But Alpine Three is definitely, it's definitely up there. It's a fantastic drive, and when I think about snow-covered tracks, um, th there aren't many snow-covered tracks that will have as complex deformation physics as Revo had as well so that's like a plus point for this one in particular and that's why uh, for me it sticks out and it's uh, I was going to say it's a fairly recent example but I'm just losing track of time now that the years go by so fast so like Revo is like it's the previous decade now anyway I think 2009 yeah. or something no, two thousand seven. Oh my god, <laughs> twelve years old. I mean, if we want to talk about the last ten years of racing games, we won't talk about Revo. Which is oh just Sad. Uh, I was going to suggest. I mean, this isn't my pick, but it, a game that came out the same week as Revo. It was PGR four, and you could do the Nurburgring ah, in the snow. Yeah. Um, that's, that's not example. my that's not my selection, but that's that's one that I remember because I don't think there's any other game that lets you do that. No, I don't think so. I imagine once games got a lot more realistic and there was a lot more riding on that type of thing, like the licensing, I'm curious how the kind of the owners of the Nurburgring track would feel about a snow version of it. Although, now I think about it, Project Cars 2 will have a snow variant because of the Lifetrack 3.0 stuff. Oh, that's true. Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't play Project Cars 2, so I can't oh. <laughs> I can't speak to that. But, but um, what I was going to say, I was going to dig way back. Um, 
and say there was this little game on the PlayStation, the PS1, called Porsche Challenge that I don't think we've ever talked about on this show. No, we haven't. But I've played a ton of Porsche Challenge music in the background uh, of many of these episodes. And there was a track called Alpine, uh, funnily enough, and it there that was also a game where you had a couple different versions of the same track and in this case it was basically like almost like you know the ridge racer style like you have a shorter version and a longer version and that, that was pretty much it so i i'm not going to single out one of those because they all kind of share the same segments but uh alpine from porsche challenge uh, a game that i don't think anyone really ever talks about or mentions or even remembers exists but basically it was just you, you drive boxers that's all it was that's all the entire game was because it was like right after the boxer came out and uh there were four four different locations and one of them was this alpine one and it's just like a very like stereotypical snow track like i just remember like there's a part where you're kind of by like the ski lodge and and there's the uh there's kind of the the gondola or the, the 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 ski lift going up like kind of as you're driving up the mountain it's kind of you know going in the same direction as you nearby and then and then you pass it and then you you kind of drive by this church and there's a tunnel section and and, and that game had like interesting uh dynamic track like they i think they called it like interactive tracks where basically like on certain laps certain sections of the track will be available so on this on one lap you might be able to drive through like the gated driveway of the uh of the castle uh, or of the church nearby on another lap you might not be able to so you have to take a different route and it, it was just a nice snow track and so and and the music is also i feel like very festive because it's got the bells and everything <laughs> yeah, yeah so w- when i think of when i think of a snow track that's the one that somehow like 25 years later that i remember I always remember that track because, funnily enough, it was in a demo disc that I had, and that was like the Porsche Challenge demo was on that track, and I just remember how harsh that game was difficulty-wise, or rather maybe I was just really bad at it at the time, but it felt like incredibly hard, and I always remember how shocked I was, like it was just boxers, like the whole game. <laughs> it's not an easy game. Uh, it gets really tough, especially because like some of those some of those like interactive tracks just have like really weird just sections of them that are just like uh like you'll have basically like a a gate that's like opening and closing and if you catch it at the wrong time then you'll hit the gate and you'll stop um it's not it's not a very fair game uh but like in terms of being a technical showcase for the playstation early in the system's lifespan and then also like having the boxer which was like the coolest car in the late 90s um it, it's it's fun. I remember. I, every now and then I'll go back and play it and, and curse at the screen uh, because it's very difficult. Um, also has like the best. Uh, I, I I tend not to enjoy like reward like videos uh, or like any sort of like gallery content as a reward for for completing a game. But when you beat that game, there is a video of just like here's the last. 50 years of Porsche history, which at that point was like all the history the company had. And it just, it's just this long film that just takes you through decade after decade and just all the company's history. And it's actually like really well done. And like, I don't even know where you find that footage anymore. So yeah, I don't know. Just a, a cool little Porsche uh, kind of time capsule. It's the best way to describe it. Yeah. And 
I really want to do a, an episode on this now. <laughs> well, I wrote I wrote a story about it for GT Planet, and it's kind of like it was uh, one of the mirror modes I did, and uh, it's one of my favorite ones I wrote, just because like I always like talking about games that god that nobody freaking remembers and that's one of them that that somehow had like this crazy impact on me uh even though like it's just totally lost the time i mean like it was just it got to a certain point where it's like anytime you'd search it like you'd search like porsche challenge and what you would get instead was the need for speed porsche game that they made a couple years after uh that had like it wasn't just boxers you know it was the entire company um and that pretty much wiped any memory of, of Porsche Challenge off the map. But yeah, I mean, I, I can't think of that. There are other snow tracks, but honestly, none that I would say that like are as good as the, or, you know, memorable as the two that we mentioned. So yeah, that might I be mean, our cue to move on to the next question. An outsider um, one I would like to reference. It's a kart racer, so yeah, a bit of a gray area. But the Billy Hatcher Chili Castle track in Transformed is very good fun as well. But it's like, because it's a kart racer, there's always snow tracks in those games. But I just felt as if it was worth mentioning because it also allows us to get our Sega reference in for the pod. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you, you did say Sega Rally Revo, so that's actually like the second oh, Sega shit, reference. Yeah. And you've talked <laughs> about, like, is Porsche Challenge considered a Need for Speed game? No, not Porsche. Well, see, you, you just... You're just guilty of the same of the same thing I just said because Porsche <laughs> Challenge. So so Porsche Challenge was actually an SC uh, an SCE Europe game. Oh wow! And yeah, you're thinking of Porsche Unleashed. Porsche Unleashed. So literally, yeah, yeah, which is that's an E for Speed game. That's the one the EA made. But Porsche Challenge is the is the Sony first party game. I know it's it's fucking like this game may never have existed. Pretty much, I almost like I think I wrote that story to like find out whether or not i was living in a fever dream and i invented this game and all of these memories for, for years of my life and whether or not it actually existed it pretty much because like you just can't like find anything about it in the world yeah there's team soho that delivered it uh, sorry developed it as well who go on to do the, the getaway hmm, interesting yes yeah they did getaway which i never played but i mean it just seemed like gta in london right that was basically the whole idea <laughs> Yeah, it really yeah. was as simple as that. <laughs> yeah. So you also had a GTA London at some point, so... Whatever, anyway. <laughs> blowing my mind with that one. I mean, because like, you've literally just said about the, the common mistakes people make and right away, even on this pod, I'm like, hmm, did EA make that? <laughs> yeah, no, they, they didn't. It's a, it's a weird game, man. But, yeah, I mean... Hey, if if anyone wants to hear us do an episode on it, I'm I'm ready. I have that story. I've already done the research. I just have to go dig it up again. Um, it's the best. It's the best Porsche pamphlet that's ever been made. Interactive I was say Porsche the, the pamphlet. The box art is incredible. Literally, just looks like a catalog cover you'd find at a Porsche dealership. <laughs> it's literally like I I know we all like to make fun of late stage capitalism for very good reasons, and and I totally agree with all of them, but if you want to ask me what like good capitalism is it's porsche literally charging people 50 dollars for this game that is just an ad for the car they just built but the game itself is actually amazing and the car is like beautiful and it's like yeah sure i'll i'll i'll, I'll give you money to buy your advertisement if the advertisement is a great arcade racer like yeah go for, i'll do it every single time so or pepsi yeah, I, I, 
or, or Pepsi Man, yeah. So, so I have no hard feelings about that. I, if they want to do it again with like the Taycan or like whatever, by all means. Although that's basically what Gran Turismo Sport is. It feels like kind of an advertisement for every brand, but. Oh man, this game had characters as well, <laughs> like actual yeah. drivers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so they were all like these. Uh, they were all these stereotypes. They were all these different <laughs> racial stereotypes. It was kind of amazing. They weren't like, I wouldn't say they were like as offensive as like when we talk about Test Drive, how they're just like totally fucking cartoon characters. But yeah, there was like an Asian guy who very much had like an Asian accent and there was like... And he's a hacker as well. Yeah, he's a hacker. There was this like Italian guy named Marco who... is a mechanic. Uh, I, yeah, he was a mechanic, and he looked like a model, and then, yeah, there was, like, the guy who was, like, a rapper, and, of course, he's, like, black, you know? Like, it was just, it was very serious. And then there's, like, Dan, who's, like, just this white dude who looks it, like a He's the token man. white guy that needs to be, <laughs> yeah, like, the starter car. <laughs> I mean, in a way, you could actually look at it and be, like, it was actually pretty progressive, because you had all of these different, uh, different people from different walks of life. Uh, now, I mean obviously kind of stereotype in 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 various ways but <laughs> this is the best you could really hope for in 1997 let's be yeah. honest and there were a couple women in there too so yeah there is i mean I, i'm just reading anyone like an can excerpt. drive a boxster <laughs> exactly and it, it helps advertise the car as well but the weird thing is i'm looking at an excerpt from the manual and it says that um, characters' reactions will vary as the race progresses. For instance, if you're playing as Rachel, don't expect Dan to love you for long if you keep ramming his car. <laughs> yeah, so I guess the characters like kind of liked each other. Like some of them had like fate, like friends, and some of them were rivals. And if you would hit them like during the race, they would like yell something to you, like just "Hey, knock it off" or yeah, whatever. Yeah, remember that. Yeah. But, but I remember, like, I would always, so I would always be the hacker, uh, Takabo. And, cause he, cause his, so the other thing too is all of these cars that are associated with these drivers are a different color boxer. So if you want to drive the yellow one, then you're one of the girls. If you want to drive the silver one, I think you're Dan. So I, I drove the red one and I was, uh, I was the Japanese hacker guy. And anytime anyone would hit his car, he goes, my boxer. And like, it, totally out of place and very strange but i mean it's actually pretty impressive because they have like fully modeled like humans in the cars you know and it's a playstation one game and you could actually see your avatar driving the car and they were all uh you know convertible boxers so they weren't closed cockpit uh which i mean doesn't really count for much now but they really did take the whole character stick like as far as it could go in that game for whatever reason that's so weird. We we need to talk about this game in more <laughs> in depth at some point. Yeah, we should we should probably move on though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. That's it. We've talked we've talked about this one for a while. Oh my god, we haven't even gotten past the first question technically. Um, so this one is from a uh, coworker and good friend of mine, Mike Andronico. Uh, go check his stuff out at Tom's Guide because, like me, he writes for that site. Uh, and he asked, what were the best slash worst racing games that we've gotten as a gift? And I actually have a couple good answers to this one. Uh, but, Brendan, I'll, I'll let you start off again. Yeah, no problem at all. So, games as a gift. Um, first, we'll go for the best one that I've received. Um, the most memorable. 
it's it's going to be maybe a bit of a boring choice, um, but Gran Turismo 4, um, I got that for Christmas one year. Um, coming off of Gran Turismo 3, I was just so goddamn hyped. And I think the scale of Gran Turismo 4, the first time you play it, just it would blow anybody away, especially for myself as a younger child at the time just how cool the game was and I just remember like the entirety of Christmas morning just like obsessing over every little detail that Polyphony had put in the game and then um, one of the particular memories that I remember the most was like somebody had found a way for you to get a lot of cash very quickly and it was basically to do like a, a 1v1 uh, rally event that was in the game. I can't even remember the name of the track. I yeah, there were forget. a bunch of those. That yeah. like, I, there, there was one that would give you this like uh, Toyota concept. That's the one? Yeah, that's, what, yep. that's the exact yeah, event. And then you could sell that for 250,000 credits. I did that so many times. Oh man, fantastic. And I just remember like when I found out about that, I spent like Christmas Day evening. <laughs> Just doing that over and over again, pretty much. I think it was City de Ifa or something, the track. I can't remember the name of it. It was either City de Aria, I think it was Casa de Amalfi, which was the the, uh, Mediterranean one, yeah. Yeah. But like, oh, what a game to get for Christmas because there was just so much stuff to do in it and whenever you had felt as if, like, oh, I've seen most of what this game has to offer, then you find the mission mode and then... You've got like so many fucking songs in the soundtrack, for example, that never play unless you choose to have them in the soundtrack. And there's just so much content in that game, especially on the PlayStation 2. And I was just blown away. So it's definitely my favourite like racing game that I've had um, as a Christmas gift. Yeah, so I actually have a similar one on that note uh, because the first racing game I remember getting as a gift for Christmas was Gran Turismo 2. And that was 99, and I played the first Gran Turismo. It was bought for me because I liked cars, but I was I was really little. I was like five years old, and I was no good at that game because, uh, you know, obviously it was far more difficult than a racing game I'd ever played to that point in my life, in my very, very short life. And yeah. uh, we had sold Yoshi's Story to get it on the N64. My brother sold that game, which I was very upset about. Uh, but Yoshi's, Yoshi's Story is not a good game. But um, Grand Turismo is a great game, but I sucked at it. So when I got GT2, I was, like, skeptical. As, as skeptical as, like, a six-year-old could be. Because I was, like, uh, another one of these, like, really hard racing games. And I think I played it, and I was, like, not that keen on it. Because it was just very difficult, and, like, I couldn't get anywhere in the game. But... Also, that was, like, right after Dreamcast had come out, so the idea of going back and playing a PlayStation game, uh, I, I think I made an exception for, like, Ridge Racer Type 4. That was the one I loved, but otherwise, like, I really didn't... I was kind of done with the PlayStation. I just wanted everything to be on the Dreamcast. But as I got older, I remember going back and playing that game for years and years, and, and finally I got to a place where I, I loved it. You know, it was probably, like two or three years later where I revisited Gran Turismo 2 and was like yeah this is amazing just like you know as, as I got older and, and started to learn more about cars and everything and just find all these really weird cars like the Spas F1 and the Ford GT90 and all these weird race cars the Escudo just like all, all these old like Le Mans, like GT cars and stuff like I learned so much 
uh, just about like the automotive world from Gran Turismo 2, as I think a lot of people did from playing that game, just because it was so big, and uh, and all the secrets that that game had, whether it was you know the weird tracks like Rome Night, uh, being in arcade mode but not being yeah, in simulation yeah. mode, and, and stuff like that. So so GT2 is definitely like the peak. There was also the year after there was Test Drive Le Mans, which I won't spend too much time on because we have a whole episode about that. So. Uh, we're pressed for time, so if you want to go hear about Test Drive Mont, go listen to that show. <laughs> uh, and you, you mentioned earlier in the show, uh, a, a friend of the show, Fernando, will very much appreciate in 2003 when I got our racing evolution for Christmas, uh, which I did have a lot of fun with. That game is not amazing, but for whatever reason, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it has the stupidest me- like pressure mechanic I've ever seen where you can just like follow somebody. If you follow them for like more than five seconds, they freak out and they can't deal with the pressure and they spin off in front of you for no discernible reason. But uh, <laughs> really cool car lineup and, and just like that cool like Namco aesthetic, um, early 2000s, late 90s Namco aesthetic. It, it, it was a fun game for the time. So those are, those are my good Christmas uh, racing game memories and I do remember one year for my birthday uh, my friend gave me test drive for test drive five test drive mm. five I think yeah and that was that was definitely the worst that game was awful oh <laughs> what, what was so bad about it if you could sum it up like why does it suck? you ever play any you ever play any of the uh, of the PlayStation well really any of the test drive games that are just like the straight up like the Pitbull Syndicate Accolade Test Drive games, because yeah, they're all yeah. uh, right. I mean, so they're all just... they're all really bad. They're all sure. really really bad. Like it's they're all like if you if you took Need for Speed, but maybe like cut the budget into a quarter of what it was supposed to be. Like I just the game like the. Everything about the game was just like janky. Like the car models were janky, the handling was janky, the the tracks were janky. Just, everything was terrible. It was, it, it was literally like a game made by by a team of people that was either too small or big enough and didn't know what they were doing. I don't know. It just <laughs> those were not those were not good games. They just they were just horrible. Yeah. And in terms of that comparison, then would you say it's like? Uh, shitty Atari era V Rally to um Call McRae Rally, like in terms of like the relationship between what you would want that game to be based on other series. Um I mean Test Drive for me I, I don't have a massive amount of experience with it because to be honest I kind of got the vibe that they were a bit um iffy. <laughs> no, I, I would say the V Rally criticism is too is is unfair to V Rally because I don't oh, wow. think those were bad games. They were yeah. just not as good as like Codemasters Rally games. Whereas like, no, I'm so like, to be honest, I've only ever played Test Drive Five and Six, uh, and I'm not gonna talk about like the Genesis, I think, or SNES games, the the, the sprite scaler games from like the 16-bit era, because I think people did like those. Um, and and but they were you know those were 2D sprite scalers. Those are a completely different thing. But wh- when that series made the jump to 3d polygons i think i think it was with test drive 4 i don't think there i I don't think test drive 3 was on the playstation but i think it was test drive 4 test drive 5 and then test drive 6 was on the dreamcast those games are uh, they're 
they're just so bad. Just <laughs> I, I just don't really know how to describe Like, literally everything that can be bad about a game was bad about those games. They, they were not fun. They looked, sounded, and played terribly. Uh, I'm sorry if you're listening to this show and you worked on one of those games. I just did not have a good time with them. Um, I would much rather. I think they, they, were, they really felt to me like basically worse versions, much worse versions of the computer the comparable Need for Speed titles of the day. Like, given the choice between the two, I would I would take Need for Speed every single time. So, that's really all I can say about it. I think I think the one I was given, Test Drive 5, it was probably like a PlayStation Greatest Hits title. So it was yeah. cheap, which is why my friend's mom bought it. I think, I think that's what it really comes down to. Yeah, I mean, that would make sense. And I think, in terms of my choice as well, it's a similar situation. Um, the game I'm going to choose, and maybe you've not even heard of this one before, Adam, so I'm curious to hear if you had. Um, it was a game for the PlayStation 2 called Grand Tour Racing 400. Does that ring a bell at all? No. We talked about uh, Grand Tour Racing for the PS1, but not Yeah, this so one. this, I don't even think it's related to that one on the PlayStation 1, because basically... The game was on the cover, it said GTR 400, uh, developed by Kuju Entertainment, published by Midas Interactive, and that is the important part of this story, because Midas Interactive were a well-known shovelware producer for PlayStation 2. Um, oh, no. And this was one of these games, like, um, there's a retailer from the UK called Argos, and when you bought a PlayStation 2, it would have the typical, oh, 10 games comes with this console like wow 10 games like every parent's dream but it'd be like 10 Midas interactive games and um, basically what happened one year was like my, my auntie bought and um, my cousin a playstation 2 with the 10 games and being naturally thrifty decided to gift people one of those games <laughs> and because i'm a racing game fan i end up with gtr 400 and it's such a strange game like it's got two cars in total and they're both licensed which makes it pretty interesting it features every the... single picture yeah I, I, i'm yeah, just gonna yeah. jump in and say every single picture i'm looking at this right now is it's just a mosler it's just whatever <laughs> mosler i don't even know what the hell it's called but i remember this car seeing this car a lot in like the early 2000s and it's the only car in this game it's the the Mosler MT900 is the exact model, but then oh my god, oddly it also features the Ascari A10, which is mm, a I'm never not... released car. Oh oh, I found it! Yeah. I found it. Okay, I found the only other car in this game. <laughs> wow. But yeah, so this this shovelware budget game that could have many fake cars, instead goes for two licensed obscure odd choices as the cars that are in the game and the funny thing is the Mosler is like the only thing you drive for like 90% of the game and you occasionally oh I can tell because it's the only thing I'm seeing in 90% of google image searches yeah the the only way to drive the Ascari I believe and like up to a certain point in the game is to finish a three days tournament in first second and third and then it would unlock an event where you could drive the Ascari and then later on in the career it becomes part of it but like you could uh, unlock it early with that weird to unlock condition so so you had the sandbag so this is basically ridge racer type 4 yeah you, you had to finish you, you had to underperform to unlock this car wow 
and I don't think it's ever appeared in another racing game. The Ascari Eighteen. No, no, I, I can of. tell you, I I can tell you it did because it oh, was really? in um. Yeah, it was in Apex slash uh, Racing Evolutione for the Xbox and maybe PlayStation Two. I, I remember the Ascari being in that game, being like, "What's an Ascari?" Because I'm ten years old and never heard of this company that barely exists. For yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It actually, it also appeared in Stuntman Ignition, which is interesting. Oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah, Test Drive Unlimited 2 as well, actually. And Mafia Wars. <laughs> I played I played the Test Drive Unlimited. Yeah, that makes sense. All these uh, weird cars from like, like mid-2000s uh, supercars that never really did anything. The Mosler, what I love about the Mosler is it's literally like it's a it's a copy of a copy because it's basically another American automaker saying like <laughs> yes, you know how you know how Steve Celine copied the McLaren F1 let's copy a Celine S7 yeah. basically the same thing. But yeah, this whole game is based around those two cars. Um, the Ascari also appeared in Forza Horizon, by the way, so it's a lot more prevalent than I thought. Um, but yeah, very weird game, and I don't know if you can tell from footage and stuff you might have seen if you're looking it up. It was just a very poorly handling racing game that had like four racetracks or something in the entire game. It was a very tiny experience and also not very fun. And I just remember how disappointed I was because after coming off the highs of like Gran Turismo 4 and that type of thing, I was pretty optimistic about a racing game that was advertising itself as a circuit racer because most of the shovelware type games had moved on to the street racing side of things. So the fact that this was a, a proper circuit racer, I held um, maybe naively high hopes for this one. There was a deluge at this time of racing games that preyed on uh, little kids like you and me that were looking for that kind of game because I remember there was Alfa Romeo Racing Italiano that had like a picture of like a, a Alpha 156 <laughs> uh, BTCC car on the cover and I'm like yes but of course you'd always see it like lining a supermarket like checkout aisle for like you know $15 and I, I, I always knew it was probably a bad game which is why I never picked it up or never told my told my parents to buy it for me but I secretly always wanted to try it. There was also um, Suzuki TT Superbikes, which was the Isle ah, of Man game. Yeah. That one, that. unfortunately, I did make the mistake of buying, and that is not a good game. Ugh. So, I think Midas published that over here as well. Midas Interactive. So those games. So, so both the games I mentioned were published by a company called Valcon, and I don't know if all they did was just like basically localize or, or publish games like that for an American audience but they had their hands in like every terrible like budget racing title that was exactly what I wanted like from in terms of like a pitch like it's exactly the kind of game I wanted to play but they were just awful awful games to actually yeah. like sit down and play like they're just not good. I think at a certain age as well you want every racing game to be good so you like you're willing to give them a go and um Obviously, there were companies that preyed on that fact. What I will say about Midas is that they did publish the Choro Q games over here as Penny Racers, and I'd actually, I've talked, I've kind of briefly mentioned this before. Maybe I'll talk about it more in depth at some point. 
I, I do think Penny Racers is a genuinely good game. So, um, yeah, thanks Midas, but not for GTR 400. Um, despite featuring the Atlanta Raceway, it's still a, a terrible game. The Atlanta Raceway. I don't even know if that's a real track. I can't. Even... <laughs> Me either. <laughs> Unless they mean Road Atlanta, but I don't think that's what they mean. <laughs> no, it doesn't look like a real track either. Like I'm just watching some footage and it's just like somebody drew some lines and went, that'll do it. The interesting thing is, like usually in these situations the developer has stopped making games, but Kuju are very much still alive and kicking. Thank God. <laughs> Maybe we'll get a sequel one day. Maybe. I mean... it. It would also really trick you because, like, if you knew anything about the GTR PC games, you're exactly, probably seeing this yeah. and you're like, wow, okay, finally on consoles. Because I remember they were going to make one of those for the Xbox 360 and it never came out. Yeah. They were going to pour, I think, GT2 or, GTR2 or something. And I was really excited for that because I didn't have a PC. I didn't play those games. But those games were like, those were the sim racing games back in, like, the mid-2000s. It was like, everyone was crazy about, G like... I think even before R Factor, like GTR was it, uh, but they never they never came out with it on console until um, Race Pro, which was like not that great. And I think at that point people stopped caring. But anyway, see these rabbit holes we can go down, just like <laughs> one game no. into another game. Just seriously, it never ends. The fun never stops in time extent. It really doesn't. Yeah. Well, with that said, probably a, a good time to move into the last question, which is from uh, Will Sonic, who has this great picture of uh, a Nissan Skyline uh, R32 Super GT car. Uh, the the rim of this car is his Twitter avatar, which I I highly appreciate because um, I saw that car at the New York Auto Show, which I think is also where he saw it, um, and they had that there, and it was like a, a god it was like one of those life affirming moments like wow like i'm actually looking at a calsonic skyline <laughs> oh, like man. right before my very eyes damn i'd be fangirling so hard like that that car is just i didn't want to leave <laughs> like i was there i was there to do my job this was this was earlier this year it might have been last year i've totally lost track of time i think it was i think it was 2019 i was there to do my job and i couldn't because they had the that calsonic skyline the r32 and they also had the Nismo. I have to get this right because it's not the car everyone's thinking of that lost Le Mans like four years ago in yeah. epic fashion. I know what, what you were talking Nismo about. The Nismo GTR LM. Yep. I'm probably getting the name wrong, but the one that's silver. And in the oh, Gran yes. Turismo 1 intro. Yeah, they had that car there. And I think there's only one of... I think that was the only one that exists. Was the one that they brought to New York. <laughs> <laughs> And, oh man, I, I would have been speechless just looking at it because I remember that car so much. Oh, legendary car. But anyway, so he asks a great question. Uh, everybody loves presents. How about which games had the best bonus cars or bonus car system? Uh, he would love to have a Mazda Demio A-Spec under his tree, and who wouldn't? That That's one of those legendary prize cars uh, from Gran Turismo, the Demio. Brendan, what, what what's your take on this one? Oh. <sighs> Yeah, I think there, there is a lot of examples for this one. It could probably be an episode in its own right, um, knowing the, the rabbit holes that we go down, as we've discussed. Um, but for me, the most obvious and best example that I, I hold with childlike glee has got to be the, the Stratos from Sega Rally 1995. 
um, just because you think you know everything about that game and then you get good at it and then you get the chance to drive the Stratos and the thing is just so fucking fast like it's insane how quick that is in Sega Rally 1995 and it's still it's just such an icon in that like Sega Saturn graphical style as well because the the gold alloys are like hilarious well the, the kind of saffron alloy alloys are so hilariously like matte as a colour scheme so it just stands out right away um, the, the sixth uh, livery as well that the car has it, it's definitely as a as a bonus car, it's definitely the best standalone example for me, and I think you you would probably think similar about the Stratos, Adam. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it's funny because you say you think you know everything about that game, and then you're you you get good enough and unlock it. Because I was going to say, uh, I didn't know what to think, and then I found the cheat code online and I unlocked it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's 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 how I that's how I got the Stratos. As as I'm willing to expect, uh, I'm willing to think a lot of people discovered the Stratos that way as well. But it yeah, it's it's this weird anomaly in Sega Rally where like especially you know if you were younger at the times, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this were, and you don't know a whole lot about cars. I mean, I didn't know what the hell a Lancia Delta Integrale was. So I sure as hell didn't know what Alantia Stratos was. And you see it, and it's just this weird wedge-shaped looking thing. And then also because of, like, the... Just, you know, the Saturn graphics and everything, proportionally, it's all wrong. So, like, yeah. the Stratos is... All the cars in that game are the same size, regardless of, like, what they actually would be. So the Stratos is as big as a Celica, which really doesn't make sense. Uh, but, yeah, that's... What, what I love about the Stratos, too, is that it's... It's not only, like way faster in the air two cars it's just like totally its own thing like once you get that car you can't really like if you were gonna race against a friend yeah you both have to use a strat <laughs> like at that exactly. point because it's, it's it's basically it's like it's like unlocking like it, it, it would be like you know if you're playing mario kart with friends and they were on like 100 cc and you were on 200 like it's just not something you can do like it changes the speed of the game to such a ridiculous degree. It drives so differently. It's so like uncontrollable if you're a beginner. It's uh yeah, it's definitely like the the prototypical bonus car in terms of just totally literally just flipping the table and being like, Okay, you want you want something that's faster? Fine, here you go. Yeah, it's an icon. Like the Celica and the Delta are obviously the, the show cars, but there's no denying like seeing the Stratos in action for the first time and even just like at the very start of the desert track when you put the foot down and the car just goes for fucking days <laughs> at a speed that you just didn't you wouldn't expect right away you know it's a game changer and like you're saying um, I don't know if it's just me being sadistic but I never used to tell my friends that the Stratos was incredibly quicker I used to just be like I guess uh, you just have to get better at the game <laughs> because um, those great. lap times are definitely possible in Adela <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah okay. definitely great 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 friend you were i mean i wish i had a friend that when i was a kid that wanted to play me in sega rally because uh I, I i was very lonely as a child nobody nobody liked cars oh. just me very sad if only time extend existed back then <laughs> it's all right i'm, I'm going i'm going through therapy now and then me and me and my therapist are working through it so it's uh, it's okay so but what what's your favorite bonus car though like you obviously love the stratos but i'm guessing it isn't your pick it's it's really I don't know why this is so tough for me. I don't know. I mean like 
there's just so many great bonus cars uh, in in the long history of racing games that for whatever reason there isn't one that sticks out to me. I mean, there there I guess there are a couple of examples like basically every special car in Ridge Racer type or Ridge Racer Five, um, just kind of crazy because because they're all very unique in their own way. Sure. Um, I mean the the Angelus is like literally like it's just unstoppable it does everything perfectly the devil does most things perfectly the uh the soldat that looks like a mini cooper with the exposed engine i mean yep. it looks awesome and it like it the handling is insane then you have the uh the damver one that's got like a it's like one of those crazy like tailfin cars from the 50s and that thing just goes like accelerates so incredibly quickly but doesn't turn so th those are those are all kind of unique cars and and when you unlock them they feel special uh i'll tell you something though that i just discovered i didn't know about uh but i guess it, you know we we're very into gran turismo sport we both we both enjoy the game and i had no idea that there is a special audi r18 that you can only unlock in the prize spins that is the same as the regular one that you can buy from Brand Central, except it's like race worn. Oh, that's so it's so got cool. like, yeah, it's got like scratches and uh, and like kind of dust buildup and everything and dirt on it, and it's it looks like you know I think it's I think they might distinguish it in calling it a Lamar winner, and that might be the difference, but yeah, it looks it looks in this, in terms of specs, it's the same as the one that you can buy. But the difference is just like it has the appearance of a car that's been through an endurance race, and I think that is so cool. I actually didn't know it until last week. And it's it's those that I think that's what makes a good bonus car as well. To be honest, it isn't like it's just a fast car. It's just the the legacy of the the thought behind it. Like, why would you put that in the game? It, <laughs> there's no reason to do it, but it's so fucking cool regardless. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll we'll finish up this episode, and there will be a ton. I'll just be like, God oh, damn, how could I, how could I forget that? Um, I mean, Gran Turismo has had so many. Uh, there were the the F1 cars, the knockoff F1 cars in GT3, because um, those were like those were ridiculous because you never imagined there was an open wheel car in that game. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you get to the end, and you do some of the final championships and endurance races, and you're like, wait, this is a what's this F1 car doing in my Gran Turismo? And then, you know, depending on how old you are and knowledgeable at the time, you're like, wait a second, you know, this is Senna's car and this is, uh, this is, um, Nigel Mansell's car and stuff like that. That, that, that was really cool. I mean, when I discovered that they had put, that those F1 cars were actually reflective of like cars that, you know, some world champions had driven. That was pretty amazing. Yeah, for sure. And, more games need to continue to do things like that. I know we're at the point where everybody just wants access to everything, but finding a bonus car is still one of the, the coolest parts of those old racing games. Yeah, I mean, can can you think of anything else? or? Um, I would say that we've kind of covered off the main ones. Um, Sega Rally is obviously the most blatant. Um, I suppose the horse in uh, Daytona USA oh, is, is a good one to talk about. Oh, I forgot about that. God, what's what's the horse's name? How did I forget the horse's name? I, think I it's can't think either. Aura or something like that? <laughs> I gotta look this up because I feel like a bad Daytona fan for not knowing this. I think it's U-R-A. 
Uma, Uma. It's U. It's U M A. So, uh, and there's two, and uh, one is automatic transmission. The other is a manual <laughs> transmission horse. One is brown, and the other is silver. So, <coughs> oh wow, that is the two horse genders are are automatic and manual, as it turns out. There's also, if we're talking about um, animals and racing games, this is an incredibly obscure one. I'm just going to put it in the Discord so you can have a look at it, Adam. Um, in GTI Club on the PlayStation 3, um, if you managed to win every single event, you would unlock the toy dog car, and you need to watch this clip because it is the funniest fucking thing. <laughs> Alright, so I just, I just pulled it up. Wow. <laughs> Get ready. <laughs> That's fantastic. It's just this like dog on a skateboard going through Monica. Wow! Look at look at the cornering capabilities of that dog on the skateboard. Oh my god! I love the uh, I love the bonnet cam where you just look through the ears. That's fantastic. It's it's flying, man. It's going so oh, yeah. fast. The pace on that thing is insane. It's definitely the quickest car in the game. A little or, bit uh, of tire people. smoke. <laughs> I love it. It's when it goes round the hairpin corners. That's the part that really makes me laugh because it's just like the sheer, the, the sheer racing line. It's it's amazing to be honest. Good dog. <laughs> I thought I thought you were going to say uh, the sheep from Manic CT Superbike. Ah, another, it's another Sega choice. racer. Yeah, another Sega racer with a, with a an animal that you could drive. Uh, and then when you would, it would be uh, Mary Mary had a little lamb. Play. And <laughs> the I think, uh, yeah, the Eurobeat <laughs> version of that, yeah. And there was also like you rode the sheep. It wasn't because in in Daytona there is no rider; it's just a horse. Whereas in Manic CT, I think you actually drive the sheep, which is kind of concerning. Uh, wow, you know a lot about GTI Club. Yeah. Out there. I feel like you mentioned it a lot. <laughs> it's it's definitely. It's definitely a game that's been completely lost to time because it was a digital-only release um, with the licenses that expired. And to be honest, like I used to love it. Like it was fantastic. There was a a bomb tag mode online that was incredibly fun, and it used to have like PlayStation I functionality. So like if you pass mm. the bomb to someone, it would take a random photo of their face. Oh <laughs> and the, like, the, there was this guy online that was like unbeatable, and he was always dressed up as the stick. Like every time he played the game, it was kind of weird, but at the same time, one of those memories. <laughs> Why would you that put that much <laughs> effort into GTI Club? <laughs> exactly. That's um, fantastic. There's lots of weird things about that game there so strange to be honest i just find the existence of that game to be very weird because yeah. it was i i only learned like probably two years after i played the playstation plus or the the playstation network version that came out for it that it was an arcade game in the 90s yeah and then i had no idea because i mean that i've never seen it i've never seen that machine in person and like i don't think i mean at this point i don't think i ever will uh super super weird to think of like a konami racing game in arcades and then they made this um you know they made this remake of it that was on uh the playstation network i played it and i i, I still didn't know and on, only <laughs> years later that i discover it and i really wish i could play the original but i don't even know if you can emulate it because it's who knows what board yeah. that was made on or whatever it must be super super like the the most obscure of the obscure it's incredibly strange as a series as well because they brought out a version on the Wii um, called Super Mini Festival 
and that featured all modern, like tiny hatchbacks, as opposed to the kind of older cars. And it also had a more realistic graphical style, which was weird. Um, yeah, GTI Club had more care put into it by Konami than uh, Enthusia ever got in terms of attention. <laughs> yeah, which is kind of sad. I mean, Enthusia, Enthusia, one day we'll we'll talk about in full, but. Uh, a game a lot of people like that never really caught on with me. But GTI Club is more like to my sensibility, so I want to play that game again. Yeah. I just don't know like where I can. Like I just can't, like where would I even get the uh, the PlayStation Network version of it? Because I think I I think I bought it and I changed IDs, so and now it's just gone forever because the license expired probably. Yeah, the, the license is long gone. So if you don't have access to the account anymore, then it's just. It's not available and that's the sad thing about it because it was just like a fun it was a great fun experience um i think because it was on playstation uh, network it kind of drew a lot of attention because it was at that point where digital only games were still a bit of a gimmick so i think a lot of people bought it based on that because they added dlc later down the line that added like the modern fiat 500 the modern mini um there's a bugatti veyron in there as well. Wait, really? Randomly. Yep. It's incredibly difficult to unlock. The fact that this game might have made enough money to get DLC is pretty <laughs> <laughs> The funny thing about the DLC was, when the game came out, they put up trophies for the game that they had retroactively added because at the time trophies weren't a... Uh, sure. Sorry, they added it in post. Um, right, right. Because they weren't there at the start. But there was like seven trophies that were added for car that referenced cars that weren't available at the time. So like they announced this DLC like fourteen months before it even came out. Isn't that basically what happens with like every new Forza Horizon drop? Exactly. Yeah. Like somebody finds it in the code somewhere. It's like oh I didn't know that car was in the game. I mean, uh, Polyphony just did that with GT Sport because they were surveying what cars people wanted, and then you see like very very specific references like. Um, you know, Ferrari uh, 488 uh, Special and, like, uh, F8 Tributo, and it's like, oh, okay, I think I know what cars you're going to add into this game. I got it. Always love always love uh, a developer showing its hand far too early. <laughs> Especially for, like, something weird and redundant like GTI Club. Now, only four people will ever know this, and two of them are on this podcast right now. Exactly. Although, there's something I did forget. It was actually Sumo Digital that made the PlayStation Network version. So, those guys get about when it comes to racing games. <laughs> Sumo Digital, I think, if we're talking about the secret like saviors of arcade racing in the past 10 years, past, well, I mean, that's older than 10 years, the past 15 or 20 years, it's Sumo Digital. Just like, the Outrun, that game... They did Forza Horizon 2, I think, on the Xbox. <laughs> yeah, like just they did. On, on the on the 360, just like crazy. I don't even I don't even know what they've done more recently, but um, I think they did some ports of like Sega Rally Revo. I want to say maybe on like the PSP or something. That was um. So it was actually Big Ben that did the Sega Rally Revo ah, PSP okay. port, okay. and uh, but Sumo Digital did um, Sega Rally Online Arcade when Sega Rally 3 got ported. Right. Okay. Anyway, Sumo Digital, thank you for, for fighting the good fight. <laughs> we yep. will never be able to repay you. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yes, and on that dire note, 
I think that just about <laughs> does the Christmas cast. I think so. Um, there is enough random asides that people should be happy with that, I think. Yeah. Yeah, this is our Christmas gift to you, is is uh, Time Extend at its, at its zaniest and most, most self-referential. So, you know, it's a gift we would have asked for. Maybe? I don't know. Very selfish yeah, of us. Exactly. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. So, but before we just before we just go further spiraling down, I think it's I think it's a good time to end. Um, but yeah, thank you everybody. As I said, as we both said at the top of the show, thank you for a wonderful 2019, and uh, we wish you a great holiday. And we will uh, we'll see you again next year. Have a great time, guys. Cheers. Cheers.